Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. <clears throat> wow. Really, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Why don't we stand to our feet, welcome all of you watching online. We want to lift our Bibles up, lift the Word of God up. It's important that we exalt the Word of God and uh, make our confession that God's going to do something in our lives today that would have a great impact. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. And I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is, uh, this is the last sermon uh, in the series on the blessing of God or the blessed life. And my prayer is that throughout this series... You've taken something from it that, that would specifically apply to your life or your family and that in some way it has helped you. It's one of those series that is a necessary series. I was telling Susan last night, I said, you know, my primary gifting is, is leadership and inspiration. And uh, when I teach on a series uh, like this, The Blessed Life, it tones it down just a little bit because... I don't want you to feel in any way manipulated nor motivated. I want you to feel liberated to obey God and honor God and to do what His Word says. And uh, it's also oftentimes very challenging because in the church world, as I've said before, this particular topic is oftentimes viewed uh, differently by different people. But it's a very necessary topic. In fact, let's read to you something that research has proven, and you, you could read it and do the same. Jesus talked a great deal about money. Sixteen of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. Sixteen of 38. Not quite half, but close. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses, 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why do you think that is? Because God knew that the great battle would be uh, for us learning how to handle what he's blessed us with, how to deal with the blessings of God. So it's very, very important that we realize the value of what we're talking about or what we have talked about this month. The percentage of Americans, and this is a little bit outdated, but uh, it's probably more than this now. The percentage of Americans who list financial woes as their primary felt need is nearly 50%. And after 2008, when the Great Recession hit, uh, I think that probably went up substantially that that is the greatest felt need almost by half of American people. So if you had, for instance, cancer in your body, you would probably be the kind of person that says, I need to learn all I can about cancer 
in order to fight it and beat it. Is that accurate? That would be my thought. If I was up against something, I would want to learn everything I could about that something in order to stand against it and overcome it. Well, if nearly 50% of Americans are having issues with money, then I would think we would say, please teach me all you can teach me about how to gain wealth. And after all, it's God who's given us, according to Deuteronomy 18, the power, 818, the power to gain wealth. So it is the will of God, so, but we have to face the issues. I recall a time early on in my life where uh, I didn't ever face the issue uh, or the issues before me because I thought they're just too great and God's just going to have to work it out. But I finally called a friend of mine who managed money very well, and I said, I would like to ask you for your help. And uh, he sat down with me, and we walked through what money I was making, which wasn't much, and what I could do with that money and how to manage it in such a way that I wasn't living in fear every month and that I was managing well enough to adjust myself to live within the parameters of that income. And that's always a challenge because in a world where marketing is everywhere, financial marketing is always, you know, things that we want are always, you know, telling us you can get it, you know, a year's free uh, without any interest, and then, at, of course, we think that's great, and at the end of that year, you get hit with 18%. So many uh, little deceptive marketing ploys that keep us in bondage. Uh, several passages of Scripture, uh, Proverbs 22, uh, verse 9, says, A generous man will he himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. God is very particular. It says, in 2121, he who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Scripture is full of how to live the blessed life. And in Psalm 1835, it says, You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. The psalmist is saying, God, you stoop down to make me great. God is stooping down in every area of our lives to create greatness in those areas. Mother Teresa put it this way, we can't all be great, but we can all do great things. So the idea in life is to identify the great things that we can do. And all of those things are typically built on the foundation of what we have. You can't give what you don't possess. You've heard me say that numerous times. So God, what can I do with what I have to do great things for other people? It doesn't require great wealth to do great things. It requires a heart that understands what we have belongs to God, and with that, God will get his portion. Going back to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to this, this verse, it is the, what is known as the prayer of Jabez. Now, Jabez's name in the Hebrew, as I stated last week, means sorrow or pain. And so here's a guy that if he would have uh, embraced the meaning of his name, he would have lived a miserable life his whole life. And sometimes we have embraced the name that we've been given. We've embraced the culture in which we were raised without questioning it and, and without facing it and, and resisting it or rising above it. And it says in verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. In other words, he perceived that God had greater things for him than the name that his mother gave him. And it says his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I give birth, gave birth to him in pain. 
Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. The challenge with most of us is we pray at a level of our own understanding or we pray at the level of our perception of ourselves. If you have a low self-esteem, you will pray low self-esteem prayers. If you feel undeserving of the blessings of God, you will pray undeserving prayers. And the reality is it's not that we in our human strength deserve anything, but in the strength of God and the cross of Christ has opened the door to us to become children of God, which means we have been adopted into the family of God, and now we are heirs of God or heirs of Christ and joint heirs with Him. And so we have the same opportunity through Christ that Christ Himself had, and the devil never wants us to grasp that. He wants us to always live below our circumstances or in our circumstances instead of rising above them. It takes a change of mind and a change of heart to see a change in life. If we don't access that change of mind and change of heart, we will embrace what we've been taught or the world in which we have grown up in. And Susan and I grew up in a very lower middle class neighborhood. Uh, we, we could have both easily embraced uh, that culture. And please don't hear me say that a culture like that makes people bad because it doesn't. It's simply a culture that was, uh, we, were in, we were planted into by our par- parents and our family. Many people in that culture said, you know, I think there's more in, to life than this. And I think there's more in life for me than this. And they rose above it. Others said, you know what, I like this. And that's okay. This is the life I want to live. Nothing wrong with that. No condemnation. However, if we really have a vision of God, the real, the real prayer that we will pray is, God, please make me into the person you want me to be so that I can do what you've called me to do. And that, that in doing that, God will open the doors that need to be opened to us. Now, number one, when we talk about greatness, a touch of greatness does require great responsibility. When we recognize that God did stoop down to make us great, we must ask ourselves the question, what is my responsibility when God does this? In other words, we have to think bigger. And Jabez said, expand my territory. Before territory is expanded, we have to expand our thinking. We have to expand our faith. We have to expand our understanding. We have to look beyond what we currently know. And sometimes that's afraid, uh, fearful for people because we become responsible for the things that we know. You're not responsible for what you don't know, but you become responsible for what you do know. And sometimes we, we limit our education because we limit what we read. We, we limit ourselves by what we listen to and what we hear. I would propose to every one of us that every week we not just look at the things that entertain us, but we look at the things that challenge us. Uh, Facebook, social media is typically reading things about somebody else's life. Uh, Oftentimes there are things on there that are entertaining. There are rarely things on there that are challenging, that challenge me to elevate my life and my faith. I'm not against social media, but I think for the most part it's nothing more than a deep hole that takes us away from really thinking about things that make us better. 
And, and so please hear me. I'm, I'm going to be very frank about this today. I see so much on social media. I don't like it. It's a necessary evil for me. I'm a leader. I'm a pastor. And I know that I need to be informed and I need to put things on there hopefully that challenge you. We have a policy at Mosaic Church that when we make a post, for those of you who follow us, uh, either on Facebook or Instagram, it's called 60-20-20. 60% of what's posted on there is what I've preached here. 20% is a Bible verse, Bible verses, and another 20% are quotes from famous people who challenge our lives. So if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, that's what you can look for. Something that I said out of a sermon that will come from the Bible or a thought that I had as a result of reading the Bible, 20% Bible itself because the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and so it divides soul and spirit. So that word comes, and many times people who follow us don't read the Bible except those verses. And so we have a system that we use to post things. I'm always thinking about posts and the impact they will have on believers and unbelievers. And so every time I preach, I have that same mentality, and I sometimes preach sermons I really like and I'm pretty hyped about, and then I preach sermons I really don't want to preach, but I'm required to. This is one of those, because money is very easy for me. I've never had a problem hoarding it, giving it. It's all God's. Everything I have is God's, and I've always been able to do this. It's never bothered me. So when I talk about it, sometimes I feel like this is a no-brainer, and yet when when less than 5% of the body of Christ ties, I go, this is a brainer. Because we just have this philosophy of talking ourselves, this way of talking ourselves out of things that God would use to bless us. So uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, But the one who does not know and does things uh, deserving punishment will be beaten with a few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. God is saying this is a very serious thing. If I've given you greatness, if I've given you something, much is going to be demanded from that which I give you. And you know what? There are people who say, I don't want any demands on my life. Well, guess what? Without the demands, there won't be a blessing. God is saying, I want to challenge you to become everything I've called you to become. And you know what? You're never going to do anything great without great challenge and without great opposition and great resistance. It takes, if, if something is worth having, there will always be obstacles, barriers, and criticism. And so God would put us in a position to say, these are challenging things. We've been doing video testimonies of people in, in, the, in the church and and the idea is, I want you to hear from people that have gone through those challenges, those struggles, and, and decided that in the midst of them, they would trust God to go over and above and, and believe God to uh, do what he says he will do. And it goes against the grain of our human nature and our fallen nature. And so when we are challenged and we hear somebody's testimony, it oftentimes brings encouragement to us. And so we interviewed a, a, a couple uh, that have been in the church. I've known them forever, and they've they, uh, been here from, from almost the start. And uh, she is an attorney. He's an accountant. And uh, these people have been such a core part of, of Mosaic Church, been such a blessing, but it didn't come without a challenge. So I want to, 
I want to run, we're, we're going to do two parts today, and this is the wife. Her name is Connie. You'll see her. I want you to hear this story. So guys, go ahead and run this. Receiving financially from God was hard for me. Felt like I didn't deserve it. Really, God is waiting to show off for us. I knew I didn't deserve salvation, but I was able to receive that. I knew that God wanted to heal me, and I was able to receive that. But finances were difficult for me. Marshall was a real estate broker in Houston during the big boom time, but I met him after the crash in the late 80s. There were lots of creditors knocking on the door with lawsuits. We were tithing at that time, and I think it was a miracle that we did not have to go bankrupt. I believe God wanted to bless us more than just not going bankrupt. Finally, I got a hold of what God had already done for us with our finances, and I realized that all we had to do was believe that God wanted to bless us. Once I could believe that, I was able to declare it and receive it. Or maybe once I began to declare it, I was able to believe it, even though we didn't deserve it. Thank goodness we don't have to earn it or deserve God's financial blessings. He wants to bless us and he has paid the price for us in every way, including finances. Tithing is the key. God brought money and circumstances to us that were miraculous. One lawsuit was for a percentage of a shopping center that Marshall owned. The bank decided it was more cost effective to write it off and take the tax credit. Wow. He also brought several hundred thousand dollars into us out of left field. It was awesome. We are now out of debt. The battle's not over to keep focused on God's word, but we definitely are receiving more of what God has already done for us. By the way, we were going to a small church during the dark times. Things did not turn around for our marriage and finances until we began sitting under Pastor Mark. The messages and wisdom Pastor Mark brings to us from the Word of God and how much God loves us turned everything around, no doubt. By the way, that was not paid advertising. I had nothing to do with scripting that, but boy, it sure felt good when I heard it. Uh, and so, you know, there are people that, that sit and say, you know, it really kind of angers me to hear what you're saying. But if it's out of the Bible and it's true, then I need to listen to it. So that's how come I've tried to stay really, really close in this series to using enough scripture to help you see that, that this, is, this is God's mandate. This is God's plan. It's not mine. It's God's. And that... If somebody told you how to be healed of cancer, absolutely 100% guaranteed that if you did something to be healed of cancer, any cancer patient would do it, would they not? This is God's plan. And I believe with God's plan and God's word, it's 100% accurate. So it's easy for me to stand up here and, and quote the promises of God and the word of God and believe that they will come to pass. Now... You say, well, how do I do this? Well, most people don't have a budget. Some people don't even know how much money they make. And that is because they're afraid to really look at it and say, you know, I just, we just don't make enough to make ends meet. And so what I want to recommend, and as I close this series, really more of a teaching is to say, you know, go to Barnes & Noble, get a Larry Burkett budget book, and just sit down write down what you make, and then sit down and put down everything that you have to spend or all the expenses that you have. Now, what's challenging about this is in a world of fast food and Starbucks, which I, I, I tell you, we'll make you a cup of coffee here for free. 
not $4.25 for a little bitty cup that costs 25 cents. And uh, now I'm not against Starbucks, but I just don't go because I, I just figure I can make as good a coffee as them. And so, you know, I just, I, one day I just woke up and I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm spending $30, $40, $50 a week at Starbucks. And I thought, and again, I'm, I know that if Starbucks is watching right now, they'll probably do something about this. But uh, I just feel, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin. It's not a crime. But you know what? How do you want to spend your money? Well, if you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. If you don't have a plan, then our, our lives fail for lack of planning. And so I just would challenge you to determine how you're going to spend your money instead of letting your money tell you how it's going to be spent. And oftentimes our emotions and our feelings drive us to do things outside of our financial wherewithal. And I, I remember having to change my entire life structure and my lifestyle for a season in order to live within the parameters of what I made. And I know that you may have neighbors and friends and, and, uh, that, that look like they have more than you, and they may. The question I've often asked is, well, how much debt are you in? I'll never forget my brother and my dad and I were golfing one day, and my brother was pretty impressed with my cousin who always bought these, these new cars, and, and he was kind of boasting about it. And I said, well, Randy, anybody can go in debt. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, some people think just because you have a new car and a big house that everything's fine. You know, a lot of people, a big car and big house can't even afford a date night, but they look good. And so, you know, we, we feel pressured to keep up with people around us. We feel pressured to impress people that we really don't like or care about. And so we go in debt to make people mad. We want them to believe that we're blessed. In reality, we're fighting behind closed doors because we don't even have the money to go out. I'd rather live in a tent and go out on a date than live in a mansion and look at my wife all the time and go, we can't do anything, but we look good on paper. <laughs> so don't succumb to the pressure. The power of money is seen in our ledgers. We empower money more than money empowers us. You know, I, I used to tell people, I, I, you know, I can, tell, I can tell where your heart is if I just simply looked at your check ledger, which are now we'd look on a digital printout or whatever. But you can always tell where somebody's heart is by where their money's spent. gets real quiet when I go here. No, you can tell me how much you love God all you want. You can figure out the rest of that, can't you? People, I love Jesus with everything in me. What, what, he's asking for 10%. Do you love him 10%? Oh, I'm meddling today. No, let's get real. Let's quit trying to say, well, I don't have enough. And You know what? I, I know you have enough. I know everybody has enough. I, I can just tell you right now, we spend money on things we don't need to impress people we don't like. It's just that simple. And so we just have to say, I'm going to change that. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's not going to be that way. Matthew 6, 21, out of the Living Bible, puts it this way. If your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there too. Okay, now, the test, money, does money have me or do I have money? In Luke 3, 12, out of the New Living Translation, it says, Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? Verse 13, show your honesty. He replied, 
Make sure you collect no more taxes than the Roman government requires you to. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money and don't excuse people of things you know they didn't do or accuse people of things you know they didn't do and be content with your pay. Be content. Contentment is the greatest thing we have in life is finding peace inside ourselves, not peace uh, because of our circumstances or a blessing. The blessed life is the result of people having uh, contentment with God regardless of circumstances. Finding that contentment, knowing we've done all we can do and we've done all that God's told us to do. Verse 9 again, it says, great blessings require great value system. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. He had a greater value system. What are the things that you value? What are the things you value? Now, please, I'm not telling you what I do is what you ought to do. I'm just sharing my testimony. Uh, Years ago, uh, I've probably only bought a couple of new cars in my life. Now, if you buy new cars, you pay cash for them, that's your business. But I decided that I was not going to buy a new car anymore because the minute you drive it off the lot, you lost $6,000. The minute you drive it off of that driveway, $6,000 is gone. You can ask any car dealer privately. (laughs) They won't tell you that until after you paid for it. But Susan and I talked to one dealer in Tulsa. We were getting a car fixed. It was a used car, and we were talking about new cars. And this guy just said, he said, you know, we sold a car to a guy, drove it off the lot, drove it down the street, decided he didn't like it, came back and tried to sell it, $6,000 less. And he went, but I I just drove it off the lot. I I mean, I just drove, he literally, this guy said, he drove it to the stoplight, turned around, came back, and said, I decided I don't want it. And they said, well, we'll buy it back. For $6,000 cheaper than what you paid for. But but I just just drove it to the stoplight. And so what is your value system? What do you value in your life? We all have one. We all have things in our lives that we value and we place a value on. Value is often established by tradition or by your upbringing. Uh, You will oftentimes value what your parents valued, what your family valued. You will oftentimes make decisions, believe it or not, that are not yours. They're somebody else's. That seed was planted in you as a child, and growing up, you embrace the same values as your parents. My father always felt like uh, that, you know, that that other people uh, that got blessed had to be doing something wrong. So in my mind, I thought, well, I don't want to do anything wrong, so if I get blessed, that must mean I'm doing something wrong. I had that mentality for the longest time, believing that if I was blessed, people would criticize me. And that's absolutely true. But the reality is, if I value the things of God and God blesses me, do I want to offend God or offend somebody else? I'm going to offend you. I'm not going to offend God. I'll never forget the first time that somebody gave me a vehicle, the first time that somebody gave me a vehicle, it was so beautiful, it was so incredible, I could not believe it that somebody gave me this, it was a brand new vehicle, a guy I didn't even know, and uh, I remember when I got in it, I felt this incredible sense of guilt. I mean, it was red for starters, 
How many of you know that red is the number one color that, that, uh, that gets speeding tickets? It's a true story. Scientifically proven that officers give speeding tickets more to red cars than any other color car. So they stand out. And then before he gave it to me, he said, could I trick it out? <laughs> Who answers no to that? I mean, Nerf bars, it was a big uh, SUV, put Nerf bars, big oversized wheels, lift kit on it. So he just kept making things worse for me. And, and so I remember getting in and driving it as a pastor. I thought, people are going to criticize me. So first time I pulled up, every time uh, that, that I, I just started feeling guilty. And, and finally, you know, I tried to explain, well, here's what happened. I was really just trying to downplay it. And God said, really? Are you going to do this? I just blessed you. And you're making apologies for my blessing. I don't apologize anymore. Mm-mm. No, I, and God said, so what are you going to do? And I said, God, I am so sorry that I am apologizing for what you've done for me. And God knew that I would value him more than the vehicle because I told the guy that gave it to me, if God tells me to give this away, I'm giving it away. He said, I don't care what you do with it. I'm tired of God being on my back for two weeks, and i got to get him off. And I said, okay. Then when he got God off his back, it was like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, he jumped on me. And God, and God said, now you want me off your back. Quit being worried about what other people say. My value system had not changed, but oftentimes in the eyes of others, it does. The value of money is also seen not just in our tradition, but in our pursuits. What are your pursuits? Well, we're called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, then all these other good things will be added unto you. So our pursuits tell people who we are. If, if we were to say today, hey, you know, when's the last time if we did a lie detector test for all the body of Christ, how much do you value God? You say, well, I go to church once a month. I pray a couple times a week and I don't give. I don't tithe. Well, you know, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody that God is your primary pursuit. Now, you don't have to convince anybody, but someday we're all going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account for everything that he's given us and everything we've done with what we know. Silence. These are cricket statements. And you know why they are? It's because all of these things call us to account of, of, uh, of what we're doing with what God has done for us. Value is reflected also by trust and by obedience. And I just shared Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things to be added to you. And the third thing is, and last thing, a touch of greatness requires vision. Great vision. In other words, if you get blessed, you have to have a vision for the blessing. In other words, if you just get blessed and you don't know what you're going to do with the blessing that you have, then there's a really good chance that blessing will be misappropriated. And so people that, like I said, that win the lottery, oftentimes they're, they're as shocked as anybody that they won. They don't have a plan for the winnings. Okay, if I win, I'm going to take uh, out of $1.6 billion. <laughs> Boy, I sure, I just got to tell you all, I wish one of you all would have won. But um, <laughs> I'm sure we would have gotten $1,600 out of that deal. Uh, absolutely sure we would have. That would have been a great blessing. But I promise you, I've never heard one lottery winner say, you know, I tithed 
to my church because they never tithed before. They got lucky. They won. And now they throw the church a bone. Most people don't tithe. They tip. I'm really happy today. I'm not mad. You may think I'm mad, but I'm just telling you the truth. And you know what? I don't want to stand before Jesus and go, oh, you're a tipper. You're going to live in the tipper subdivision of heaven. What's that look like? Well, you'll see when you get there. En route to there, we're going to take you by the tither portion just uh, so you'll see what you could have done. Okay. Twenty-six percent of the world population are unevangelized, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia. This means no Christian disciples, no churches, no missions, no visiting evangelists, no radio, no television, no Bible, no portion of the Bible. There are 2.1 billion people that are evangelized but chose not to follow Christ. 1.7 billion who uh, comprise the Christian world. Now, those numbers are a little adjusted up today, I'm sure, and down and around. But just take for a moment and ask yourself, what does that have to do with me? You have no idea what it takes us every month to run this church. And not just us, but every church in America is called a nonprofit organization, which I hate that. It's like, well, you know, it's nonprofit. There's no profit. And, you know, and so because of that, we run this organization every week based on faith. It's every week. You guys say, well, you know, they must be doing well. You know, I get asked that question, and I don't really know how to answer it because I'm at peace with God. I'm happy with God. We tithe. We're, help. We're doing our part as with those who give to give out to other organizations that cannot give back to us to help reach more people. And uh, some people think this, this is magic, that, you know, th- that the $12,500 monthly rent on this building, just, it just happens. It's just poof. And it just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. It happens because there are some faithful people in this church that say, you know what, we want to continue to take the message of the gospel to the nations of the earth, and it begins right here in our home. And you say, well, my giving is not significant. You're, asking, you know, you're making the wrong statement. It's not about the significance of your gift. It's about the significance of your obedience. And every gift is significant, but more importantly, you're doing your part to be a part of taking the gospel to the nations of the earth. As we watch right now, as we're preaching right now, there are people in Africa watching what we're doing right now. All the way on the other side of the world, they're watching because I get texts from them. I get messages from them. And, and, and we're speaking into nations, and, and, and we're talking uh, to, to the nations of the earth right here. And this technology is helping us do what the Bible says do, go into all the world. And so we need to be reminded that money is a tool. It's a tool. It's all it is. It's a tool, not a toy. And, and so we use it as tools in our lives. We use it as a tool for food for housing, for lodging. We use it as a tool for entertainment. Uh, And my prayer would be we use it as a tool uh, to help reach the nations of the earth. We use it as a tool to help other people. And uh, it's so very, very important that we not lose sight of that. We help the poor. We do not fund the poor. Understand that Jesus wanted us Uh, to learn how to catch fish he didn't want to catch fish for us and so what we want to do is help people that's how come we have 
since we started this church, a program in the projects where we help. We don't fund, we help, we teach. We don't just give food, we give the message of hope. So we're helping the poor, and we're helping give them a, a hand up instead of a hand out. You want to give people a hand up. And so that's what we are attempting to do. Money is just one form of God's blessing. This reveals, this reveals that our purpose lines up with God's purpose. Okay, Three things you need to understand. Tithing is a tenth of everything we get. And some people say, you know, I've always been asked, do I tithe off the net or the gross? You want to be netly blessed or grossly blessed? It's your call. And, and I just tell people, you've, you've got to do what, what's in here. And now I believe uh, my conviction's always been gross. Well, off the gross, not gross. <laughs> and so this is my conviction. And, and I've always felt like that everything I had was God's anyway, so might as well start there. Secondly is giving. That not just bringing a tenth in, but he said, given it'll be given, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And then the third thing is stewardship. It means someone who manages property or other affairs for someone else. We are stewards of God's money. You say, well, what's God's money? Everything you have is God's money. So we steward the money that we possess. So that's called asset management in our world. Tithing is a tenth. Giving is over and above, and stewardship is the third thing, that we manage everything because we realize we're managing what belongs to God. Just like when you have children, your children are not your children. They're God's children, and you are a steward of their life and their destiny. My kids are not mine. They belong to God. I am just a foster parent in the kingdom sense. God's saying, I put them in your home, and I want you to care for them, and I want their destiny that I put in them to flourish. The problem is, in our world, we like to possess people, and we like to possess things. You know, let me just give you, this is parental advice, and then we'll move on and be done. I have five children of my own. Susan has four, so we have nine. We're bigger than the Brady Bunch. That's a lot. And you know what? Kids nowadays never grow up. Millennials don't want to grow up. They don't grow up. They just don't. I love all you millennials, but, you know, we talked last yesterday with some people. Most of us were on our own at 16 years old from baby boomers. Our dad like, you're out. We don't have the money for you anymore. And so, anyway, I, I've learned on my last child, if you don't ask my opinion, that really means you don't want it. So I recently had a situation, and when, I, when it got to a crisis point, I was finally asked my opinion. And I said, well, you know, I, I didn't weigh in because you didn't ask. But now that you're asking, I'm never short of an opinion. So let me go off on you right now. And so I take it that when you come to church or you watch online... You're politely asking for my opinion. So I have given it to you in great detail this month. And my prayer is that because you came and because you asked, that you understand my heart is for us to obey the Lord in every area of our lives. And... My prayer would be that your life would forever be changed because you've decided to bring the first fruits into the house of God, tithe 
and that you would give God something to work with. And the Bible is called Seed Time and Harvest. When you give, it's a seed sown into the soil of God's kingdom. And it's watered through prayer and faith, and it matures over time. Trouble is, some people give on Sunday and expect God to show up on Monday or Sunday night. And what we don't realize is it is seed time and harvest. That you don't give up on the seed sown, you water it. Remember last week I told you the truck, you may not have been, maybe in 11, I said we had a truck for sale, and I said it's going to sell this week. It did. I just, I, I'm just telling you, and God uses people to help make that happen. Thank you, Mark Seals. And uh, no, I'm just I'm God uses people. And, and I, I said it, declaring it, because I felt like God needed to have my faith connected to that prayer that this is what was going to happen. And God does work that way. And, and there are times it happens fast, and there are times it happens slow. So anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful and true to your word. And uh, Lord, regardless of how much time it takes, we're going to trust you and believe you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you that are not Christ followers, this is your opportunity to start right there because without following him, putting your trust in his, his uh, saving grace, none of what I said really matters. What really matters is you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to pray right now and ask those of you that have yet to follow Christ to pray with us, those of us who have, those of you online, pray this prayer with us right now. Say, Father God... Thank you for sending Jesus to save my life. Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Today I repent of my sin and give you my life. And I thank you for saving me. Amen.